Ladies and gentlemen. Good evening. Are you ready? Okay, here we go. You're listening to the Deal Room Podcast. Join us as we bring you the inside scoop on business sales and acquisitions. Get across trends in the area and hear the industry's best recount their real life tips, traps, and experiences. Now, here's your host, Joanna Oki. Hi, it's Joanna Oki here and welcome back to the Deal Room Podcast, a podcast proudly brought to you by our commercial legal practice, Aspect Legal. Now, today we have a very, very special guest for you. We have Nigel Barcham, the founder and managing director at Paragon Group. Paragon Group is a market-leading specialized recruitment firm and one of Aspect Legal's wonderful clients. And in this episode, we talk about some of the decisions that Nigel made while growing Paragon, including some of the thought processes behind his ultimate exit. We talk with him about how his exit came to mind, what the lead up to sale was like and the sale process, including determining the right buyer. Nigel and I also discuss strategic decisions, his sale process timeline and some key learnings along the way, along with Nigel's advice to any business owners and even to brokers out there on what helps with the deal process. So without further ado, Here's our discussion with Nigel. Nigel, a huge thank you for coming on to the Deal Room podcast today. Pleasure. Great to catch up. Wonderful. It's so good to catch up because I haven't talked to you for a while. And I must say, um, when I work on these deals with clients, sometimes um, I feel like, you know, you get to know someone very well. It feels like you're, you know, you're talking to someone maybe three or four times a day, all day, every day through the transaction until it finishes. So it's, um, it's sort of funny then when it all goes silent, you don't talk to each other for ages. So it's really nice to connect again with you, Nigel. <laughs> Absolutely. It's great. I'd enjoy the process. <laughs> Wonderful. Now, how about we kick it off? Why don't you just tell us uh, just a quick, in a, in, in a quick sentence or two, just a little bit about the business and how long it's been around um, and, and how it came into, into being. Was it your business? Did you start it yourself from the startup? Just tell us a little bit about that background. Yeah, great. Uh, I guess um, you know the the genesis of this uh, was a bit of a combination of my career to that point, which was um, predominantly on the back end of of a stint at a a big international company where I actually got to do a startup for them in a major market being Melbourne at the time, and I really enjoyed that uh, opportunity. And as my role grew um, and I took on more of a managing director role, I f- found out very quickly that the things that I enjoyed most about the job was small entrepreneurial startup growing. So it was sort of a, a logical step to to go out and have a crack, I guess, for myself and assess whether there might be a, an opportunity to, to build uh, my own business. So it's one of those classic started off in a spare bedroom of my house um, and that was in 2010, just at the back of the GFC, uh, having Gone through a startup in the in the previous role that was on the back of the dot com bubble bursting, um, and I realised pretty quickly that it's quite a good time to to start up businesses on the back end of a pretty difficult economic period because you typically get a very good run on on growth after that. So you know we wanted to build a business, and I had some people who were very keen to join early on, so it was a pretty comfortable sort of scenario, and we wanted to 
to have an entrepreneurial business that took a lot of the, the the good things out of a big global company around strategy systems and um, training and development and career management and all that sort of stuff, but sort of leave all the big company politics and meetings for meetings sakes behind. And, and that's really what we wanted to build as a best of both worlds scenario. Um, and that was 2010. And here we are. Yeah, nearly 13 years later. Love it. Well, I mean, you know, great trajectory, fast trajectory from that, you know, 13 years. Um, you built a great business uh, and obviously got to that point of exit. So many um, business owners, you know, spend a lot longer building, developing that business, you know, from that um, from, from that startup point to that exit point. So 13 years is actually quite a quick process, I think. Yes. Yeah. It's, um, it felt about right. <laughs> and was there a lot of design to that in terms of time frame? Were you working to a time frame of exit when you started the business? No. And I, 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 very early on, it was never about exiting. Um, I think if you get too wrapped up in Starting this company up to build it and, and and exit, I think you're probably doing it for the wrong reasons. So, for us, it was all about having fun. Um, for me, it was all about you know having something that we could control and we could we could build the way that we wanted to build it. So, there wasn't really an exit strategy as such early on. Um, we just wanted to to be able to create a business where you know really good recruiters could come in and and have a really Unique experience and um, and anything down the track was it just seems so far away at that stage and it does take a long time to build a professional services business because it's it's all about people it's all about building infrastructure and it's just not a it's just not a short journey so yeah no it's it's an interesting question but didn't really have that exit strategy in mind up front and anyway so when did you think when did you think about exit then when did that come to mind it was around the ten year period um, because mm. we. We'd grown it really fast and we, we, we had three offices at that stage and it just felt like it was a very sustainable business. We, we focused a lot on building a temp book, um, which is really good annuity business. And that was really humming at that stage. We were rolling out new product lines and, um, you know, we, we were considering it, but, but not really desperate to, to do something. And then COVID hit. And that was kind of a bit of a game changer in relation to, wow, we didn't know what was going to happen and maybe we'd build this thing up for 10 years and, you know, was the economy going to fall apart and therefore was was everything that we've done going to be to zero? So that was kind of at a point where we thought maybe this is a bit of a reality check and once things settle back, we take it a little bit more seriously. Yeah, right. And so then you said when you, when you, when things settle – um, you take it a little bit more seriously. It, it, did that mean, you know, it, it sounds like um, that period of uncertainty really sort of had a bit of a psychological impact in terms of making you realise that there had to be a point for taking some money off the table. Um, it, 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 was that sort of what was going on in your mind at the time? Very much so. I think there was a sort of a de-risking thing and we really, you know, as, as hard as COVID was, it was an exciting time. It was a time where we learned a lot and and when you do the same thing for a 10-year for period, you know, you, you, you kind of crave a little bit for, for something a bit more dynamic and that certainly gave it to us in spades. And um, having gone through that process, 
oh, like I said, just never we realize that. Well, I realize that they just never know what's around the corner, and maybe it's just time to to de-risk it. And if we could find the right partner where we could continue it going and and have all the stuff that we enjoyed, i.e., the ability to to make the decisions around how we take the company going forward, then that was kind of our ideal scenario. We weren't looking for a roll-up acquisition sort of strategy where we would lose brand and lose the magic. And um, so that was an important part of, of what we were doing. So it was more of a de-risk rather than a, a changing of the, uh, of the, I guess, the ingredients of, of, of what we saw as success. Sounds like um, th- there was a little bit of thought given, though, to what – what, what the right exit path looked like um, or the, what the right sale path looked like because even though I'm using the word exit, you're still in the business um, and, you you know, so and we'll talk about that soon because, you know, exit is such a broad term but it doesn't necessarily mean leaving, um, I guess, you, you know, you're using it in the sense of taking some money off the table. But it, it sounds like you really thought um, through what the right, what that right succession exit sale plan looked like, and and and, and we talked about that that sort of thought process kicking in um, from COVID and when things settled. Had you thought at all about that before as you were growing the business? Um, and and you know you said you didn't think about it right at the beginning, but was there any point prior to COVID that you thought about building the business in a particular way that meant? what you thought the right sort of exit or sale looked like? Um, well, look, I think we wanted to to go internationally. I think we wanted to be able to to have a very strong back office um, and we were just never big enough to, to be able to justify having a, a large back office. So, there, you know, we, we talk a bit about, you know, de-risking your, your, your financial position, but but it's certainly much much more than that. So I think it is important not to see it as a as an exit strategy because it's not so much. It's it's for us. It's more of a growth play um, whilst de-risking, and um, it just felt like the time where we should be, I guess, trying to find an organisation that could help us accelerate growth, accelerate careers because you know organisations can get a little bit stale, and we just. We wanted to just shake things up a little bit as well post the post the COVID side of things. Um, so we did see this as an opportunity where we could <clears throat> we could grow faster, we could build people's careers better, we could actually get better performance out of the organisation, go into Asia at some point perhaps, um, or um, make an acquisition of a of a business to be able to 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 just be able to take that next step. Yeah. And it's an important thing to think through, I think, as you as you're looking at going into you know, partnership with a, with another business, which is certainly the way that we see it. Yeah. Okay. All right. And it, it's funny as you talk about this. Um, you know, they they often say I've heard tell. Um, you, you know, people talk a lot about the seven year itch with marriage for business. I think it's a ten year itch. You know, I do see this time and time and time again. At this sort of ten year point, you talk about COVID being being the the trigger, but I, I think ten years is um, you know um, big business impact decline aside. I think ten years is a point anyway for some reason um, where many business owners sort of hit this juncture of where am I going? You know, what am I doing? What is what is it next? Almost like. 
um, you know, it's become a bit stale because I've done this for 10 years. You know, what does what's a bit new and exciting um, for the future? So it's fascinating you talk about this 10-year point. I agree with that. And I think, um, you know, there's only so many ideas, even if you're a very kind of creative thinker <laughs> or a really commercial business thinker, after 10 years – Surely you're almost out of ideas, right? <laughs> so I think for us, it's uh, how do we how do we just get more, I guess, stimulus to to go out and do different things. And I think you know when you join a an ASX business or a, or a large corporate, that's kind of what they do. They push, they stimulate new thinking, and they and we're already seeing that. And there's just more ideas coming in. So I think it's really healthy for an organisation, and, and perhaps you know not too healthy if it's the same person running the business for 10, 15, 20 yeah. years yeah. Yeah. without without getting more support or, or, or without getting challenged by a new force. Yeah. That's positive. I want to talk a little bit about, you know, your prep for business, for sale, sorry, your prep for sale once you actually sort of started to get that thought process in. But before we get that to that, you, you mentioned um, – selling to a large corporate or, or um, and the benefits, I guess, the opportunities of a large corporate, someone with, you, you know, for you, it, that international expansion um, opportunity. Uh, but, it, you know, there's sort of, there can be two sides. Uh, and it's interesting from my perspective, because sitting in, in the deal, um, and, you, you know, it was a very quick deal for this sort of size uh, deal. Um but I had a really good impression of all of the parties involved. It was, you know, it was one of those, and, and you do get a, you do get a really good sense um, of uh, of parties when when you're sitting in um, the around the negotiation table and you're seeing um, how parties deal with um, getting through a transaction. But what I'm interested in your um, thought process of when you were looking at who might the right buyer be for our business, did you weigh, were there any positives or negatives that were sitting in your mind in relation to dealing with a corporate buyer? I guess things that were sitting in our mind is we didn't want it to be a big, a really big organisation or a big global company that likes to just steamroll and and well, this is the way we do it in the US, so this is the way we'll do it in Australia and this is the way we do it with this acquisition or our broader business so you're coming into the fold so so that was one thing and and I'd spoken to a number of you know peers out in the um, in the marketplace and and the ones that seemed happiest and where there was the you know the desire to remain engaged with the business and see it as a um, kerosene on the fire kind of um, deal that it was when it was a very well-run business, but had track record in if it's going well and if it's successful, that they just help support it rather than try and change it or integrate it. So that was one thing that was really important to us was a good culture fit, an organisation that had a good track record in being able to, to help grow businesses and ones that supported the things that were working and were happy to to trust you to be able to continue rolling out those sorts of um, business practices. Mm. It's interesting that you say culture fit because my perception is 
um, the clients that I speak to who have the most um, positive uh, experience, uh, you know, post-completion um, are the people who have thought strongly about culture fit right from the beginning, which which is interesting, you know, because it's not it's not always an element that's talked a lot about in this area, but um, to, to my eyes, it actually is something that is uh, that seems to be critically important. Yeah, and I, I agree with you. I don't think it's something we really thought. We've got to find the right culture fit organisation. But I think through the process and having spoken to a number of organisations who were, you know, looking at, um, you know, exploring uh, us as an asset, the more we had those conversations, the more important the culture fit was because, you know, as we point out, this is not an exit strategy. This is a, a, a growth play. Um, so, therefore, it's critical. If you don't enjoy turning up to work with everybody through earnouts and beyond, then it's going to be a long two, three, five-year journey. And it did become very, very crystal clear as we, you know, started making some decisions around who we wanted to, to partner up with that culture fit is what we see as one of the most important things when we're bringing people into the organisation. So why shouldn't it be the most important thing in terms of, you know, organisation to organisation culture? So, and I, you know... I've been very, very pleased with our decision because I think the culture fit is fantastic and I don't know whether we would have got a better culture fit with the people that I deal with every day. Certainly the the broader management team that I get to interact with, it's extremely comfortable and it's a really good outcome to be able to, to say that. Nigel, that's absolutely fabulous because, you, you know, it's it, there's a lot of discussion um, in the industry, people I talk to who've sold businesses, um, not through us, who may not be happy with the earnouts and the, you know, the the um, the relationship um, with the the buyers post sale um, and and the new management team, you know, and and quite often I think it comes from the fact that when you've built your own business for a significant period of time. Um, it can sometimes be difficult to fit into um, the business of someone else um, and have someone to report to. But obviously, um, you, you know, um, it seems, you, you know, in your seat that you're finding it all a positive at the moment um, and, and not not struggling with any of those areas that sometimes entrepreneurs do struggle with um, after the sale of their business. Absolutely. And I think that's why it's so critical because a lot of, you know, people when they're selling any sort of asset are just so, how do I get the best price for it? And um, we're talking about business, we're talking about people businesses, which is what ours is and anything in professional services, it becomes even more important. Um, And yeah, I think it just, yeah, it's important for an acquirer to ensure that the culture fits very important. And I think they really do focus on that and understand the importance of it. I'm not sure that the sellers necessarily understand the importance of it, but from certainly my my perspective, it should be just as important as the acquirer wanting to ensure the culture fit. Otherwise, the transition's not going to go well. People will become disengaged at the top. And if it becomes disengaged at the top, then it flows through the organisation and it's just it's just not going to work out and, and, and nobody wants that. Yeah, absolutely right. Absolutely right. Particularly, you know, when you'll be 
staying there on board for a while, you know, for anyone who has an earnout and, you know, any significant transactions, you know, generally there'll always be a component of earnout and period of time where you stay on with the business. Um, that's why I just think it's so, you know, everything that you're talking about now is just such important information for sellers who are sort of entering into the process now, starting to work out what they need to be thinking about. Yeah, I think if you can go in and say, I'm coming into this and, and I see a long-term horizon horizon ahead of me I think you're just getting everything off on the right foot and you can't have that horizon if you don't like the people you're turning up to work every day with and I think um, you know people in talk a lot about how happy they are with the acquisition now four months in and how smoothly it's all going and and we have not lost one member of staff through that first four-month period, let alone lose a member of staff that wasn't happy with the the culture or the organisation that came in. So that would be pretty rare, I would suggest. Oh, absolutely. Oh, look, I mean, you know, it, it's a great walking example of um, a fabulous transaction, Nigel. I, I really think that. And, you, you know, one of the other things, I think, in what you're talking about here and the way in which you approached it um, you know, psychologically was looking looking at this for the future and to the future because and, and I think part of that fits with the timing of sale because many business owners come to the point of sale when they're tired and they're done with the business. So it can be very hard to um, envision that period of time post-sale still being there with the business. And it's almost like they're chained to the business for the period of time of the earnout, rather than um, the way that you talk about viewing the sale as being part of the growth and part of the next, you know, the next step. Um, and it, it is, I, I, I really think it's a function of timing of sale in, in part of what you're talking about here as well. On that point, I think it's a really, really good point. And I think if people get to a, a stage where they are done with what they're doing every day and therefore become desperate sellers, I don't think they actually see the wood from the trees on that front and, and probably make mistakes. We were very lucky in that if we didn't sell it, it's so what you know almost because we have a we had the culture was as good as it's ever been the infrastructure was as good as it's ever been you know coming into this year the the results are significantly better than they've ever been um so for us it you know we weren't desperate to to do a transaction but if the transaction was right then we would absolutely go forward with it as we did but but you've got to be in that frame of mind to say, okay, well, I see that long-term horizon that I keep talking about rather than how do I exit my own sort of job. And it's a it's a very different mindset and I think it puts you in a very different frame of mind when you're going through the transaction and when you're, you know, you're you're looking for that for that business partnership. So yeah, timing is everything and you've got to have still lots of energy to, to go. Otherwise, it's going to fail. And I think acquirers would probably see that anyway if you leave it too long. And and I guess, you know, part of what you've talked as well about is about that emotion of sale and sort of taking away that emotional element of I just need it to be done. <laughs> we just need, I guess, you, you know, you were there with the philosophy of I'm here 
because I want to be, I'll do the deal if it's the right deal, not because I have to do the deal because I've got to get out. And it puts you in a powerful position as well to be able to to be really fussy about who you who you decide to to go forward with or be willing to walk away. And it's a you know, it's it's just a I think an important mindset when you when you want to be fussy about what you're doing going forward because who wants to be miserable at work every day. Well, uh, do you know what? <laughs> it's all day, every day. I'm totally with you. You've got to. You spend so long in there. You've got to love it. You know, um, it's such such a good point. Um, okay, so so then let's go back to when you started to think about sale in that. You know, soon after the post COVID hitting time. I guess we can't say post COVID. I still feel like we're <laughs> right in the still middle there. of COVID. Still there. <laughs> I don't know if we'll ever be post COVID, but. <laughs> <laughs> Post that initial period, um, when when you thought about sale, the idea was on the table. Like, what then? What did you do? How did you attack it? Uh, so, our view was we needed to find the right advisor, somebody who we thought was going to work really hard for us, but get the situation that we're in. I.e., you know, we're not going to be a desperate seller so it may or may not happen so that's important is to get the right to get the right advisor we, we you know I've, I've always focused on running a really tight ship and running a business that you know is professionally run and that's always been important to me my entire career so the business was sort of set up ready to go we knew that there was you know really strong management we knew that there was strong engagement that the business there was no surprises that we would expect through due diligence so all that was kind of done uh, and done even without this in mind, just because it's the right thing to do to build a strong mm. business. So for us, it was like finding the right transaction uh, advisor and ensure that the timing looked pretty right as well. And because business came back so well after COVID, we had some very good financial results to work with, which was going to give us a pretty good valuation. And we saw that there was going to be a lot of you know, forward momentum, so good time to be, you know, impressing a new uh, owner and um, you know giving them some really good financial results and some some confidence that they've done the right thing as well so uh, it comes down to for us it was around timing and the right advisor to, to get mm. going and then moving into the process of you know who who, who could be the right the right fit and going through that process and so it sounds like you were you were running the business in a sale ready state anyway, um, you know. And and this is sort of a mantra we talk about, and here it is in practice. I guess the benefit of it being that you didn't have to spend, you know, years getting the business ready and tidy um, because you were running it in 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 that state as it was, which is you know a, a fabulous a, a fabulous. Um, reflection on the way you ran the business but also I guess on the benefit the act the benefit of it was that when you had the idea of selling you could move straight into the process to the sale process um, rather than having to spend years getting it ready yeah and I think it's just the right thing to do I think if you're going to run a business just getting it right from the start and getting the right accounting firm and the right legal um, uh, the right support around you, and if you can't do it yourself, ensuring you hire the right people in who can help with your blind spots. So I just think if you can focus on it when it's small, running it really professionally, and and as if there's no surprises, then you just you just grow with it. But yeah, I, I think that's a very important piece. And, and and when you're going into due diligence, you're going pretty confident 
um, because due diligence is you know a brutal process. Um, even if, <laughs> even if, even if you're pretty comfortable with what's under the bonnet, <laughs> so you don't want to well, be worried about. about that. <laughs> so what was it about the? You, you know, you talk about due diligence as a brutal process. I think any seller would 100% agree with you there. Um, but but you're coming at it. You came at it from you know a, a great standing start. Uh, but um, but uh, but what what is it that? Um, what, what is it about due diligence that you found most difficult? What was the most bu- what were the most brutal aspects of it? Well, I, I think the first thing is you are you've got to be careful with who you trust that's going into this because it might lead to nothing, right? So, and you know, wrongly, and I say this wrongly, people believe that you know, and acquisitions and transactions are negative is negative news because everything's going to change and and there's so so there's always a very negative sti- stigma attached to being a seller being acquired. Um, so as a result of that, I had to be very careful about who I could let into the circle mm. of trust and. Um, we didn't want any leaks, so as a result of that, I felt that the smaller that group of people was, mm. the better. And what that resulted in was me having to to really drive the due diligence process with almost solo. That's a pretty big thing to take on, and and much bigger than I than I ever would have mm. expected. Because you think, well, how how complicated is this business? Like, well, they can't be after too much, but there is a lot of detail that these companies go under and, and, and they should because they've got, you know, accounting firms who do this all the time and and throw you a lot of very detailed stuff that, you know, you think you're across the business and I'm a, you know, finance guy by by background um, and have run, you know, much, much bigger recruitment companies than, than I've built and even then you go, wow, I just, the detail, you're just not necessarily across it all. Uh, and you need to get across it very, very quickly. So a lot in a very short period of time under an enormous amount of stress because you, you're you always concerned that, you know, is there something I don't know and is this going to kibosh the process and am I then going to let down the people who are already in the circle of trust? And it's it's a very, you know, emotionally draining process. But you learn a lot. You learn a lot. <laughs> Well, and I'm going to ask you about that in a moment. I, I really want to know, you know, what it is that you learned um, along the way. Um, but h- how long was that process, would you say, from start um, to, to, to finish? In terms of due diligence? Oh, no, sorry. I mean, you, you know, the, the process of finding the buyer. Oh, yeah. So finding, yeah, okay. finding your transaction advisors, finding the buyer, and then, you know, to, to that final. You so know, we would have... Um, engaged around June of last year, around. Um, next stage of the process is to then start identifying who the hit list is and then going out and knocking on doors. So that, that process takes probably four to six to eight weeks and then you get you know the expressions of interest, then you start having those conversations and that's the the beauty parade um things go on but you know it's 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 both sides so we're sort of sussing them out as as much as they're sussing us out because we weren't sort of desperate to do anything uh but that would have been another it would have taken us through till probably september october and then november 
you get to a point where, okay, this is our preferred option, feels right, terms are right, culture fits right, direction's right, and then that due diligence process is probably 10 weeks. And look, that's not a bad, you know, 10 weeks for due diligence, you know, as you say, it was brutal, but it was only 10 weeks of brutality. Well, and of course, then we had, you know, contract Correct. <laughs> negotiation, which is its own version yes. of brutal. But <laughs> <laughs> Sure was, <laughs> but uh, you, you know, but but it was it's a fairly tight process. So you went into due diligence in about you know, November, and you were through, you know, to um, a, a completed contract by what was it, um, mid February? Yeah, like that? early mid February. Right? Yeah, early. That Feb. would be about right. Yeah. So I mean, you know, that's a pretty tight process. Three months from the beginning of. Um, from d- the beginning of due diligence. But I think that gets back to also as well, the fact that we were DD ready and had been for a number of years. I think yeah. if there was surprises and and issues, it probably wouldn't have gone so smoothly. And I think we were both really, you know, we were both very engaged on the process and they wanted us and we wanted to work with them. So I think that helped as well. There wasn't a lot of reservation around, we don't like these people or they don't like us. It was The culture fit was very clear very early on um, and was much stronger than I was expecting. And look, I, I think it's a great thing. I talk a lot about um, the importance in keeping up momentum in a deal. Um, you, you know, and when you have buyers who could be out there, you know, buying other um, buying other businesses at the same time, it's important to keep them engaged in your deal rather than you know distracted by other deals that they might be doing at the same time. And I think some of the things you talked about here, you know, you being in on the DD, you know, obviously you had it well prepared for DD, but then you were in there yourself taking ownership. Uh, I think all of this really contributes to helping keep that deal momentum, which I think is actually quite critical um, so you don't get to that deal fatigue process, which is a pretty horrible point um, if you're getting to that. So, you know, whether you know it or not, I think you did a lot along the way that really, um, you, you know, that really got behind that momentum. It was brutal, but it we certainly didn't get deal fatigue because we uh, we could certainly get things done and it's just you just got to put the hours in and, and be ready for it and have the right advisors as well. Yeah. I got a very yeah. strong accountant who was, was just brilliant through the whole process. Um, so, you know, they, they helped a lot in, in resolving any of those questions that I didn't, you know, from tax point of view that I just don't have that sort of capability. Um, so, yeah, again, it's important to really like the third parties that you have to deal with as well. Really important. And that's, a, that's a really interesting point, isn't it? I guess when you're engaging advisors, you talk about the importance of engaging the buyer who had a cultural fit. I guess it's the same with engaging with advisors as well. Again, you spend a lot of time together and you need to obviously trust that they can get it done but enjoy working with them as well because – it's a lot of hours. You spend a lot of time together. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> <laughs> a lot of phone calls. Hopefully people like speaking to Yeah, <laughs> um, Exactly. Really important. <laughs> um, okay. And, and then just one more thing in, in sort of the pre-sale. What do you think 
the buyer was specifically looking for that they that they found in your business? Um, well, they were looking for our particular product line. And from our understanding, uh, they spoke to a lot of potential businesses and they spoke to a lot of businesses in the market and they felt that we were the, the market leader in the professional services and, and banking and um, accounting and technology space. So that was the first thing they were looking for. It was a strategic fit. Yeah. It wasn't just we like your business, we think it's got good EBITDA and you know great growth potential and right culture fit. It was it was that was important was to what is the strategic fit for us. So they, they wanted that and they felt that we were the most uh, logical size um, punched above our weight in relation to, you know, results per recruiter. Um, so that was the first thing, second thing is really important is for them is the culture fit mm. and confidence that they've got in the business and the way that it's run and that there are good levels of management below just the owner or the director team um, and the growth potential. So we're still relatively small, 40-odd people. Mm. There's still a, a huge amount of expansion when you're buying a business of about 40 people. Fabulous. Okay, wonderful. All right, so so what would you say in the sale went well? And on the flip side, what do you feel if if you knew in advance you might have done differently leading up to sale? Um, so I think what went well was some of the things we've already talked about, i.e. just having a business that's it's ready to go. Timing is you're not desperate to do something. You focus on going into business where you see a long-term horizon, which gives you lots of options um, and everybody wants options and everybody wants to to enjoy what they're doing every day regardless of, of the ownership structure. So I think they're all the things that we did well. And, and, and we probably learned along the way that the culture fit was probably a much more important thing than perhaps we initially discussed or I initially thought. Um, in terms of what didn't go well, um, I, I think it was just such, as you point out, it was a very smooth process in the end. You know, I don't think I would have wanted to do it sooner. I don't think we wanted to have done it later and missed an opportunity. Um, yeah, I, 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 I really can't think of anything that we would have done. It's not a great answer, I know, um, but but there's just nothing that I can think of that I could, that I would have, with hindsight, wish we'd done differently because it's just just it just went really smoothly and we're very happy with the outcomes. And in having come to that point, do you feel that you got to that point because you feel you were somewhat educated uh, along you know pr prior to enter entering into the sale or or was it nothing to do with like did you know much about the sale process before you started? No, not really because I hadn't made an acquisition in previous companies and and we hadn't really been approached before or gone down that down that track actually i've just had thought of one thing that i that i wish i'd done differently and that would have been be far less paranoid <laughs> about <laughs> about how people were going to feel about the about the situation because oh. i was just so worried about that and i was really worried about announcing it and it was churning my stomach up for months oh, and no. every conversation was oh my god how are they going to feel but so with hindsight you know i just think if it feels right believe that it's right 
and believe that people are going to trust you that that you wouldn't have done this unless it was going to be in their best interest mm. as well. And you know, I think yeah, I think I think with hindsight, I should never have been anywhere near as paranoid about about the announcement and the conversations because I was you know, I was very very worried and I had no reason to be in the end. Fascinating! Wow, there you go. And I love that that was the. Um, that was sort of the the sort of one and only thing that that you mentioned. That's just that's just fabulous. I love it. So, was there anything that happened in the sale process that you just weren't aware of? So you didn't realise that this is how sales worked. Was there something that anything that popped out at at you in relation to the things that you think would be good for business owners to sort of know moving in. And, and we've talked about timing and we've talked about culture fit and those sorts of things, but just anything else about the process as a whole? Yeah, well, I wasn't expecting the due diligence process to be anywhere near as intense and as detailed. So I think if you're going to go into this, you've got to be prepared to to get here with questions you have just, we're not expecting to, to be hit with. And and that you might not be across. And I think, you know, as much as you think you're across your business, when you start going into due diligence, you'll be surprised about, you know, maybe you, you don't know everything when it comes to ins- Like insurances is one example of complexity, um, you know, the award process and, you know, contractor rates and, and those sorts of things. We were thought we were pretty good on that, but, you know, even lawyers used to say to us, we're not really sure whether they're this or whether they're that. So there's just a lot of ambiguity in a lot of things that they and you think you, you think you know the answer and you think you've done the right thing and you've meant to you know you've done things in good faith but have you really? So I think um, that's one thing that I that I did learn um, and yeah I, I think the legal process you know to, to be fair was pr- probably more complex and difficult to to sort of work through as well. So I think um, yeah there was just some. Yeah, they're, they're long documents. So being able to get across those <laughs> sorts of things is, is very is very challenging. So it's much more complex as well. Yeah, that it, it is interesting, isn't it? Because of course, you know, um, uh, I guess business owners, business builders don't really have any reason to um, understand the length and complexity of, um, you, you know, a sale document, particularly, you know, when you're selling to a sophisticated buyer who who has a set of templates that they perhaps have used again and again and again, you've never seen before in your life, um, and they can be very long documents. Um, and and I, I guess that is one thing, you know, you, you never sort of sit there thinking, oh, gosh, I never realised, I never actually even, you know, coming up to the process, I never even realised what was was in these documents because there's a lot of words and there's a lot of warranties, you know. Was that something that surprised you? Yeah, it's very much so. I think, you know, you, again, you go in and, you think, okay, well, they've done their due diligence yet. You know, there's still a lot of risk, so you need to have be very confident in your business because even if you get through due diligence process and get something sorted through, then the warranties are like I'm not not worried now because obviously we're we're through things and there's but you just think, well, well, what else could they kind of find that could result in a warranty claim against you and how? Keen are they to to try and find those sorts of things in order to maybe recoup? You, you just don't know, right? Yeah. But that was that was something I wasn't expecting. Mm. 
Mm. Interesting. It's, and, it's and just how much you've got at risk. How much you've got at Therefore, risk. Therefore, you need to be right. Yeah. Yeah. It's a really good point um, because it's it's not something, unless, you know, someone's getting, you know, really educated about the sale process, um, you, you know, it, it isn't something that's obvious from, from the outside, I guess. And even if you know people who've sold business, you know, people don't really sit there sort of talking about, well, this is how many pages my <laughs> sale contract was. <laughs> yes, exactly. Uh, <laughs> perhaps you try and forget it afterwards. I don't know. But <laughs> <laughs> Uh, wonderful. And, and so I guess, you know, on, on, on that note, you, you know, you, you mentioned earlier as we were talking about the things that you learnt along the way. So we talked about the, and we talked about a lot of those things and things that you weren't aware of at the beginning. Are there any other learnings that you can share with our business owners or even acquirers, um, you, you know, who, who are listening in? Cause our audience is full of, um, advisors, um, buyers, sellers, um, and, uh, you, you know, even accountants. Um, so, you, you know, I guess looking at it from both sides of the fence, are there any learnings or insights that you think worthy of um, sharing? I don't think there's anything that we haven't discussed already that, yeah. um, you know, I think we've talked a lot about the, the things that I learned the most that I found most challenging. Um, uh, without rehashing what we've already spoken about, there's just nothing that I can think of that's that's going to provide any real insights. But well, it's great. Do you do you know what I, I think that indicates that you're you, you know you're someone who entered into this process with whilst perhaps um, as you say you hadn't spent time understanding or getting to know um, the sale process before you went into it. You knew a lot about your business. You knew a lot about what you wanted as the outcome. And, um, you, you know, you, and that gave you the path to get there, I think. And, you know, maybe that's, maybe that's sort of the, um, the end note as well to, to this whole discussion. I just think you, you always had a very clear idea of where you're going with it all. Um, but also, clear parameters and, and 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 I think perhaps it helped a lot that you didn't have the emotion of this must be done <laughs> otherwise you know there was a fallback for you which was just fab fine in your eyes uh, but but I think all of that contributes to a level headed approach to a process um, without emotion taking over um, and being able to see um not just your side, but the buyer's um, uh, concerns along the way as well, because that really helps with the negotiation, I think, when both parties are good at understanding the perspective of the other parties. Yes, absolutely agree. Absolutely agree. Okay, brilliant. Well, look, Nigel, I just want to say, firstly, a huge thank you for coming on to the Deal Room podcast. And secondly, a huge thank you um, for being a client. Look, I really enjoyed um, running this transaction with you. It's, um, it's, it's, as I said at the beginning, it's sort of a, um, a period of time where you, you, Get very close to someone who spent a lot of a lot of time on the on the sure phone did. together. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but I had a lot I of fun. I enjoyed it as well. I enjoyed uh, it. it was- yeah. <laughs> um, and I'm glad that you 
have gotten to the end of the transaction, you know, talking about having enjoyed it um, because it's not always an enjoyable process for people, particularly if they hit that deal fatigue point. But um, but it's lovely to hear that you enjoyed the process and reflect on it positively and fabulous to hear that, you know, you, you, um, you're enjoying being in the business and being in business with the buyer, um, you know, moving forward. It's just such a great story, I think. Thanks, Joanna. Really appreciate the opportunity. <laughs> Wonderful. Thanks, <laughs> Nigel. Well, that's it for this episode of the Deal Room Podcast. If you'd like to contact Nigel Barcham and the Paragon Group, then make sure you check out the links in the show notes below where we link straight to Nigel and also provide information about Paragon Group. Now, if you'd like more information about this topic, then head over to our website at thedealroompodcast.com where you'll be able to download a transcript of this podcast episode if you'd like to read it in more detail. There, you'll also be able to book in with our legal legal at Aspect Legal if you would like to talk about how we can assist from a legal perspective in buying or selling a business. Well, that's it. I hope you enjoyed what you heard today. If you did, don't forget to subscribe to the Deal Room podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or your favorite podcast player to get notifications straight to your phone whenever a new episode is out. We also love hearing feedback, so please leave us a review and rating if you're one of our subscribers or even if you're listening to this podcast for the first time. Also, we're interested to find out what it is that you, our listeners, want to hear more of. And if you have any questions for us, our Ask Me Anything segment is coming up soon. This is a segment dedicated to answering your questions and questions that come out of our day-to-day dealings as a commercial legal practice. So if you have anything that you'd like to hear our thoughts on, then send it to us at podcast at aspectlegal.com.au. And that's it. That's a wrap. Thanks again for listening in. You've been listening to Joanna Oki and the Deal Room Podcast, a podcast proudly brought to you by our commercial legal practice, Aspect Legal. See you next time. I am so very excited to announce that I've hit a non-podcast related milestone and released a book. You might wonder why? Simple, I wanted to help business owners understand the mechanics of deal-making and the interaction between three critical phases of business, acquisition, growth, and exit. And so I am very happy to announce Buy, Grow, Exit, a guidebook for business owners and their advisors on how to buy, grow, and guess what, exit in a way that maximizes value and avoids landmines along the way. The book is available now, so just head over to buygrowexit.com.au to get your copy and to access a whole heap of free resources that will really help you on your journey of acquisition, growth, and exit in your business or in working with your clients. Also check out our show notes where we will link straight through to that page. Ladies and gentlemen, that will conclude this evening's entertainment. Thanks for listening to the Deal Room Podcast. To find out more about this episode and other episodes in the series, check out the show notes or head over to our website at thedealroompodcast.com.au. 